0: manipulate the price of gold and silver but all that money printing that they've done
1: has flowed into the only non-manipulated currency in the world and that is bitcoin. I think this is totally different. No. No different. Only
2: different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned. Alright, I'll give you a try. No. Try not. Do. Or oh, do not. There is no try.
1: Once in a while you the the strangest of places you look at it right. Bitcoin changes absolutely everything What's
2: in there? Only what you take with you Hey everyone, I have Raj here with me again And uh, yeah, last time, so if you want to know more about Raj You can go back and listen to episode 51 Where we've, like Raj was here on We've We've cut off Raj's background of and how he was introduced to Bitcoin and what are his co-working. But for today, we're going to cover off Bitcoin's history. And especially since Raj is a, is a developer, we're going to uh, touch on, on more of the tech side of things with regards to Bitcoin. Okay, so hi Raj, welcome. Hey, nice being back here again. So Raj, uh, how about you give like the audience like a brief background on the history of like on the from the tech from a tech point of view like the history of bitcoin because okay. people yeah so people assume bitcoin is this new thing that is come up in 2009 right like it's like a new but bitcoin i think like the guys working not on bitcoin but they were working on like a on a on a cash based system which would separate the money from the state and government as long as the internet or as long as computer systems have existed, right? Like there's this deep <laughs> history of people trying to create uh, this cyber money. So right. yeah, how would you touch upon uh, some of those aspects? Cool. So actually, yeah,
1: yeah, right. Basically, like it's not about something that happened in two thousand nine. It's about something that has been happening since since probably early eighties, nineteen eighties and the spark and the uh, and, and the start initiation of this process of using cryptography in order to create new form of digital identities suppose as public key, private keys with which you were encrypting things, digital signatures with which you were uh, asserting authority over a certain set of data hash functions and all these kind of things Cryptography was never like this Cryptography was always about secret writing and it was mostly about linguistics It started becoming mathematical somewhere around after World War two and something happened in 1970 so 1975 the Diffie, cohort they published the paper called the public key cryptography and where they described the public key key exchange protocol with which anybody in the world with a computer and the software can run cheap encryption between each other encrypted communication. Previously, it wasn't that much possible because in order to encrypt something, you need a big private key, and then you need to send that big private key to the receiver of the data in order to decrypt them. With this man, we don't need to make that send receiver receiver channel anymore, they can have their own public key, private key, they can have their own public key, private key, they can still um, communicate in secret chats without like sharing any private information with each other. So this changed the game. Once this happened, people started thinking about, okay, now we have cheap way of doing crypto schemes on top of internet and computers, what can we do with it? So, among many things you can see like encrypted communication the whole purpose of cryptography since like thousands of years and then Because it was mathematical, it created some new components like digital signatures, hash functions, commitments, and these kind of things. Combining these kind of stuff together, you can create what they call crypto schemes. And crypto schemes can be different things. Crypto schemes can be your entire infrastructure security mechanism. Crypto scheme can be something like Wikileaks. Crypto scheme can be something like Bitcoin. So these are cryptographic protocols combined together in order to solve certain problems. Now this was all good and fine. Like after cryptography, like after public key cryptography, the entire space got boomed, Like there are a lot of like new development happened, new application came up, and uh, uh, software security in turn got more improved. And so since the start of the internet they, once, they, once they connected two computers together and started sending data they were asking like what kind of things we can send through So anything that you can translate into bits and bytes like zeros and ones a f- file, a pic, a video a voice call, anything and then they asked the question what about money uh, mm-hmm. if we can do text, if we can do jpegs we can do music, we can do videos wa- can you do money? the Then they started asking the question of can we do money and the first answer to that question happened in around 1985, David Trump, the Uh, cash protocol, which was the first digital electronic currency system, which attempted to solve the problem of doing digital money using a cryptographic scheme called blind signatures now digicash came like probably in 1989 they started a company and the problem of digicash is like in order to run digicash you need to have one central entity maintaining the consistencies of the record so david john and few other friends came together and they said like we are gonna be the central entity providing this service and in the early days in early 1991 a lot of banks and commercial institutes mm-hmm. were actually interested in this idea this was the era before debit card and credit cards so Having some kind of like internet monetary system was already in the vision of like companies trying to build big services on the upcoming e-commerce like it was before World Wide Web, WWW came in 1993. So that was kind of like the early history of Pcash. So eventually that didn't adopted much in the public because the other model of electronic cash of the de- de- visa and the debit card system and the credit card system, which also works on the same primitive cryptographic principles, just in different ways, that got more popular. And uh, in DigiCash, you have like uh, privacy and censorship, register, these kind of things in build, even if there is a same like uh, the central party so that wasn't a lucrative thing for the banks and the institute so that that idea was kind of like shunned off so that was like the first burst of like the idea of doing digital money with cryptographic principles and around the same time 1992, few people in um, Silicon Valley and uh, in other places kind of like got together and they started this like subculture of like uh, 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 academic movement where like computer scientists, mathematicians, economists, and physicists came together and they started asking various type of political, social, and um, math, crypto, computer science questions and they, they created a group and they kind of like had a physical meetup and uh, uh, they they eventually created a web uh, mailing list where they were like talking and discussing these ideas. This became the cypherpunk mailing list and uh, many renowned people like Adam Back, Julian Assange and uh, many other folks were like uh, involved in the early process of like um, Thinking through of how to use these crypto schemes to get new frontiers of freedom in the digital world that we are losing in the physical world. Now, money wasn't their problem. Like Money was like the holy grail of this entire domain class of the kind of problem they were trying to solve because money like after David Shum's experiment it was very clear that doing a monetary system without a central party is kind of almost impossible and um, it's called the Byzantine generals problem which describes why this coordination mechanism is required and what's the problem of trying to do it in a decentralized way and this was kind of like a major problem of that era and uh, almost all the cypher firms people involved in this women knew about this problem they have been trying to solve the solve like there has been a lot of effort in throughout the 90s from 91 to 98 um a lot of effort have been put in order to like solve this kind of problems and the ca- class of algorithms are called consensus algorithms mm-hmm. and there are like various different kinds and flavors of consensus algorithms and they were like successful in creating a creating a very really small scale like boundary fixed condition like um, structures of byzantine fault tolerant systems some of these implementations are working in like uh, Airbus and flight traffic control systems, but they work on like specific boundary conditions. It doesn't work for global random network architecture where anything and everything can happen.
2: Raj, so, can I interject here yeah, one sec? For someone who's listening, can you like briefly explain what's the the in general problem? Like uh, what, what is the problem nice. that they were trying to get over? Yeah. So like... Uh, the best way to explain it i guess like
1: non-technically with a story the story goes like this and that's where the name comes from the byzantine generals problem so who are the byzantine generals so Imagine there is like a valley of Byzantine, and uh, there is a small city inside that valley that is not part of Byzantine, a sovereign place, and the Byzantine empire wants to capture that place. So, but now the rule of the game is: so in order to capture that place, the Byzantine generals has place like say twelve generals surrounding the city. They are the Byzantine generals. Their job is to attack the city, capture it. Simple. <laughs> so, but the rule of the game is they all. have to attack together Mm -hmm. if any one of them backs off or any one one of them fails to attack together they all die and the city wins. so their job is to position themselves around the city and somehow through communication come to a consensus of what is the attack date and time and then stick to that consensus now if you think about how the city can defend themselves. The city can do a lot of things. like city, uh, and, and they have to like communicate through the city. The only communication channel is through the city where the city can tamper with the channel. So that is like the metaphor of like you, the systems are communicating in a channel that has no security guarantee. Right. Right. In such environment, their problem is, that's the Byzantine General's problem. How do they achieve consensus? now the problem the paper that described this problem didn't give any solution they said like this is a problem and mm. this is a problem that happens when you try to create like any kind of agreement different between different systems in a distributed network where you do not have a central coordinated authority imagine if the byzantine people have like a central coordinated communication channel which doesn't go through the city anymore mm-hmm. and they can maintain security and all the, all the stuff, it's a trivial problem. The problem becomes problem when you have like this kind of weird systems where like okay, now you don't have a secure communication anymore, systems can go in and go out and the, the biggest problem is, what if after agreeing, one of the Byzantine generals make a pact to the city get a bribe, and back off at the time of the attack. So it's not just a uh, it's not just a digital information problem, it's also an economic incentive problem. So even if you have consensus, you can have different systems have economically incentivized to break the entire structure. Yes. Now this whole thing is called the Byzantine Generals problem. And the, Type of algorithm that attempts to solve this problem in different situations are called consensus algorithm. The kind of mm. systems that have different kinds of resilience towards the Byzantine kind of fault is called Byzantine fault tolerant system.
2: 2008,
1: Satoshi Nakamoto kind of proposed an idea that seems to be the first ever Byzantine fault proof system. Okay. Which seems to have like his own life and it seems to have like his own ways of doing things and we are still
2: understanding and working with it and uh, that's what we're here to talk about absolutely yeah and i think like after after the early days of digi cash there were a few more attempts at various uh, digital currencies I think there was one that, I think Adam Back came up with Hashcash, if I'm, if I'm correct. And then there yeah. was another one uh, called e-money and then there was e E-gold. Yeah, e-money. E-gold e-money and e then- like in iteration around
1: 2000s. Yes. Like, yes. Uh, it, it came from the libertarian side of the politics in years yes. where people who are like, okay, like, um, we need to create our own banking systems we need to create our own monetary systems but at all the places they had faced all these problems like you cannot create money without a central coordinated problem coordinated circle because money is the ultimate epitome of the byzantine general's problem when you are trying to solve it in a digital distributed way and uh, hash cash wasn't really money hash cash was a uh, was a representation of tokens or like a representations of computation done mm. in order to stop email spamming. So that's a nice idea of like stopping emails and like Adam Back kind of was the pioneer of the idea of like you can use proof of work, mm. um, yes. a hash, repeated hashing to match a certain difficulty target mm. and use that as a spam protection mechanism. And this was a very big clue that you can, because in, in this kind of distributed computing systems, when you're like, imagine you're designing Bitcoin, you will at some point think about, okay, how do I stop DOS attack? How do I stop spams? And uh, so this was a clue that came up in 1998, where right? Adam that's low. Then there were some other proposals. So they were like around a lot of proposals that happened throughout 95-2008 in the cypherpunk mail list and they were like mostly like paragraphs of articles these are like ideas people are speaking out like you can do mm-hmm. this you can do that you can combine this 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 and make this but nobody actually went out and made something so uh, there were like ideas like uh, Nakamoto's idea was like be gold, and yeah. there was uh, Eye's idea of be money, and both of these works are cited in the in the, the white paper of Bitcoin, yeah. and uh, because like these were like the preliminary idea stage of like how. certain things can be combined together in order to create something like this and Satoshi probably took, obviously took like inspiration from all these previous works Mm -hmm. all the prior works and didn't create anything new just combined existing things together and made a new arrangement
2: that happens to work right right and uh, one of the major another major problem that was solved was the issuance problem right like so when we create new money how do we go about distributing this new money, right? Like, do the people who created the money get to keep some of it, then it sort of becomes like any other shitcoin that's in the market or uh, like how, how the issuance problem. So like, if you can briefly touch upon uh, how this issuance problem was is solved.
1: So uh, there are two aspects of this problem. One is like, what? how do you govern the monetary issuance in the protocol layer? That was a big problem because hash cash was like hugely inflationary in that sense. Like every second you will be like generating millions of hash cash. That doesn't, cannot work like a proper money because you need to set the issuance in some kind of like a strict time form like and that's another like genius probably of satoshi that he solved this problem together with the with the ddos of the dos problem and he created the difficulty adjustment algorithm he kind of realized like the same thing that he used to solve the dos problem is the same thing you use to solve the global issuance problem but there is another social part of this problem, is like Satoshi as a developer of this system could have like created a single variable with this much amount of Bitcoin to this particular address. Like the initial day fund, as you can see. Mm-hmm. He didn't choose to do that. He said like it starts the machine starts with mining. I am the only one mining right now. If you wanna take part in the comp- in, in the network mine another mine another system like start another Mm -hmm. software run your computer basically so he and there are like uh, some some investigation has been done i I don't remember which paper it was about like the early days of bitcoin hash rate and it seemed like satoshi was like had some capability to regulate his hashing power a lot and Eventually, like, his hash rate kind of declined and he went off from the market and the rest of the network took over with the hash rate. When he realized that the network is stable, enough hash, hashing power is coming in, he doesn't need to keep running his miners anymore. And um, he, he kind of, like, gradually decreased it off. And in the meantime, he was, like, adjusting it, like, regularly, depending on how many people are joining, how many, and, and he was kind of, like, um, trying to make sure like this uh this this difficulty adjustment period remains constant block time remains at every 10 ab- average 10 minutes and this kind of thing so once you like kind of saw like it's working by the market itself it doesn't need to involve. involved kind of like decrease the hashing power also so in, in a sense like this is this is a philosophical question like mm-hmm. how do you solve that part of the problem you could have like like probably still like without even like giving a death fund to himself, just by the initial days of him mining alone, he probably has a like the estimate is like one million Bitcoin. Yes. Right. Yes.
2: So. Yeah. Uh, and now I've never heard this part of uh, this before. So Satoshi had multiple computers running, basically multiple uh, mining computers running, but. So you're saying he gradually decreased the amount of these Exactly and this was the like the the interesting
1: part of the article that people who noted there they also realized like this is odd. Like you, you either have a certain amount of hash rate or you don't. You right. you cannot have like a regulator on your hash rate, so you can have like gradual curvy hash yes. rate increase and decrease of that. But it seemed like from the from those investigation data that Satoshi had some ways of doing that but i don't know like how they do that like for that at that point they may like there is no conception of miners. like it's less, just computers less, less. right so how do you like regulate computing power that granularly in general purpose computer i don't know like that's something that um, article also like had it an open question like
2: we don't know how yes okay uh, before we move on to the next like f- to my next questions uh, uh if you had to take a wild guess who you think satoshi was i don't know okay
1: uh, <laughs> I, I i really don't know like i have, I have like pondered on this questions so yeah adam back seems like a very prominent candidate but mm. Halsey, so badly, but um,
2: could be, could be. Yeah. So, so, but no. yet, yeah, it, it's a lot of like. Uh, if it was
1: Halsey, and there was another guy. Like there was another reviewer. He he is not renowned in the space at all. There is a very really good article he has wrote in two thousand eleven okay. about what we what we just started. Something like that. He, I mean, he was the second reviewer after Hal Fini on okay. to look at the Bitcoin core code. And uh, so, it seems like, um, yeah, I don't know what a good answer. Maybe like it, it was a team of people yeah, together. Sure, sure. And they, they somehow like, the problem is when you have a team of people, like if you have a three people, and you have a secret for 13 years, it probably means like all of them are dead. Mm. And uh, So that's another reason why I think like it's difficult to keep a secret like this for 13 13 years and something uh, if it was a team of people and it's also difficult to imagine if it's just one guy like Mm. thought all of it together and like solved all of it in a few years. Um, I don't know like so badly whoever was the candidate is he doesn't want to be known and it's better to respect that.
2: Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay now so so Bitcoin is I mean now it's it's 13 years going on like but it's unstoppable. There have been several attempts from regulations to try and stop it at various points, but it's very unlikely. So how is like but the the code the, the software still needs maintenance right because it's still so how is Bitcoin the software maintained?
1: Right, so uh, Jameson Wapp, uh wrote a very nice article, I would suggest the audience to look it up It's called Who Controls Bitcoin Code And it goes into this idea of like the, how the open source maintenance process happens Yes So mm, let's let's go into the simpler, simpler part of like how the Bitcoin Code project, the GitHub repo is maintained so, Bitcoin code is a reference implementation of the Bitcoin protocol. And it's written in C++. It's the original implementation that Satoshi wrote, and people started contributing into it, and it resides as a form of a GitHub repository. Now, GitHub repositories are like repositories where anybody can come and share their contribution. So, contribution happens with these things called pull requests, PR. Right, so, you are a developer, you will have like github is just another social media account page like you create your account and you go to that repository you download that repository make your changes and upload your changes as a pull request it is a request for the repository maintainer to pull your changes into the repository so once you make a pull request then what happens the pull request discussion starts like people starts commenting on the pull request there people reviews And uh, people made their suggestions, people check everything, but like there is no coordinated effort behind it. It's like everybody doing it in their own ways. And then there are like five maintainers who has the access to put stuff into the code repository. And this maintenance job is to like keep the overall context and the overall workflow steady and also select a bunch of pull requests which has like adequate number of reviews. Like Enough people said like concept ACK, tested ACK, review ACK, all the discussions have been sorted, all the comments have been addressed, changes look good, maybe a maintainer will come and give his final review some mix and all like you change this or rebase the PR on top of master operational stuffs. When all looks good, it goes into the Bitcoin master branch. So when it goes into the master branch, eventually there is a schedule after which a release happens. So a release is basically a snapshot at a particular instant of time of the master branch. That defines what are the functionalities of this version, what are the new capabilities Bitcoin has for version 23 against version 22, and that's all. So that's the the code logistic part of it. Then there are other things that goes on like dips. So... There are something that are not exactly code changes, but conceptual discussions, ideas, new ways of doing things. And for that kind of discussion, somebody proposes a dip, Bitcoin Improvement Proposal. The idea is taken from EIPs, Internet, IIPs, Internet Improvement Proposal. And so here the idea is just like anybody can create their own PR, anybody can make their own bit this is my proposal, this is my new idea, uh, once the bid goes there, the community discussion again happens, so there are like many different places like discussion happens, like there is no one single place where the entire Bitcoin com- communication happens, to main few, few is like on the high level, on the ideal level there is Bitcoin mailing list and the review com- level, the review comments on the bits. Right. right, and then there are like in, even like high level discussion happens in the Bitcoin Core IRC channels. There is a Bitcoin Core Dev IRC channels. There is a Bitcoin Core Review Club IRC channels, and then there are like uh, even in Reddit and, right. and even in
2: Stack Overflow's. S- sorry, there's a Slack channel as well, right? I, uh, I don't think so like it was, there was okay. a slack
1: channel but okay. I, I i don't think it's operational or okay. maybe like it's, it's where i haven't checked it lately so uh and then again like in open platforms like twitter reddit social media mm-hmm. youtube and uh, in general like it's it, it's the entire work process is also kind of like distributed Decent into device. various platforms it's like Nothing is happening in one single place and you kind of have to follow and keep around and keep track of so many things are happening and things are happening in their own ad hoc ways. Nobody is coordinating what needs to go next, what needs to be researched on next. So it's hmm. it's it's a market phenomena entirely. So that's like the easiest way to describe.
2: Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah, that covers up most of it. Uh so, how does one like how so you said there are five maintainers, right? Now, for someone who's like totally new to like Bitcoin, or maybe they've they've been into Bitcoin, but they've never bothered looking into the tech side of things. From what they say is how Bitcoin is decentralized, there's no governing authority, but then who are these five maintainers that get to approve things, and how does one become a maintainer?
1: right so to answer the question how you make become a maintainer is like proof of work uh just like any other field of life it's like your proof of work in the community then the community kind of like uh, there are some process of like deciding on it. The existing maintainer decides when somebody wants to leave, they come together and decide who the next person should be. Mm. And uh, they do that on based on proof of work. The actual is actual answer to why that's not a problem is the power structure in the entire Bitcoin ecosystem, whether it's software, whether it's mining, whether it's the industry, whether it's the economy, is very, very fluid now here's an interesting observation that is like in order to create any kind of efficiency you need power structures you need some kind of structures and you need some kind of workflows and workflows are always like structured in nature why doesn't solve like creates a problem in bitcoin because in bitcoin these structures are not rigid Hmm. the problem is if a maintainer if a group of maintainers goes rogue the community is absolutely free to fall to the code base and start maintaining from somewhere else.
2: Yes. The
1: entire history, the entire commit history, all the previous peers. Maybe they have to like change the peers and redo all the peers on that, but they can like completely take that code base and start somewhere else. So the moment of like the power going away from the maintainer to some other place is like it's almost costless. and this creates the incentive loop and the maintainers knows this so they also know like if I try to do something fishy it's more likely that the community is going to bypass me and this has happened with Gavin Anderson when he tried to uh, push the fork of Bitcoin 2x against the community consensus and eventually he got kicked out of the maintainership. and uh, so like this maintenance shape is like then again like there are other points of centralization also, not only the maintainership. Another is like the the BIP wants to get like starts accepted in the big big repository, it needs to get a big number. And there is one guy who is like in charge of assigning that big big number, that is Luke Dash Junior. So mm-hmm. you can say like Luke Dash Junior is the central point of failure. Now if loot junior tries something tries to do something fishy, it's like totally costless to replace lootbus junior and recreate the BIP repository and create another maintainer who is like assigning the BIP numbers. So this kind of jobs of assigning the numbers, getting the peers marched, getting the, the release candidate schedule, these are operational tasks. And this kind of task, in order to do it efficiently, you need structures. We always need it, like every kind of civilization will need these kind of structures in order to do it. But in Bitcoin, because it's organic and market-based, these structures are fluid in nature. The structure exists as long the community wants it to exist. If the structure goes against the community, the community will
2: spontaneously break the structure and create its own structure. Uh, got it. Thanks, Raj. Yeah, that covered it up, uh, yeah, that covered it up well uh so for someone that is like a new developer a new coder how can they start like where, where can they start so
1: if you if you are a new developer um you actually like you already know basic python already know your object oriented programming already know your for loops, your if statements and all these stuff uh, Code will not be a problem. Your main difficulty will be the concepts. The concepts of, that you need to understand about cryptography, digi- distributed networking, system engineering is probably not something that has been taught to you in school and probably is not something that you have like faced or experienced in your normal tech job. So uh, what I would suggest is like instead of like trying to figure out code, try to figure out the concepts, do a cryptography 101 course and then jump into mastering Bitcoin, then to programming Bitcoin, and then start exploring any Bitcoin open source project and see where you can fit and contribute. So, if you have Cryptography 101 course done, you will have the basic ideas of digital signatures, hash functions, public key, private key, cryptography. This is something that will be your bread and butter if you are working as a Bitcoin developer. So, getting spending some time to get these things done is is important. Then uh, the standard path is like take up mastering Bitcoin, get the overall overview idea, the bird's eye view of the entire protocol, how the protocol looks like, what are the objects, what are the structures, how how what is a script public key, what is an output, what is an input, all these kind of details in in the bird's eye sense. So, uh, on the programming Bitcoin side, uh, you will have like the same concept that you have learned in mastering Bitcoin. In the overall side, you you will do that as a hands on exercise and a library. So, you will end up creating a dummy Bitcoin library with like writing your own elliptic curve to points, doing public key cryptography with them, making the digital signature functions, and all these things. So, these will be a good uh, getting your hands dirty with uh, Bitcoin nuts and bolts. Uh, once you do that, I think you should be capable enough and like have the, have enough context to go and jump into any Bitcoin open source project you like. So whatever is your favorite language, just figure out, like find out what are the Bitcoin projects happening. Some Every every language has some Bitcoin projects out there in open source. So just go there, look into
2: their issues solve few issues and start contributing, basically. Awesome, yeah. So, when you say the first thing that you mentioned was Crypto one-on, Is that right? Uh, like, uh, that's like, it's not a name of a course,
1: like any cryptographic introductory course. Like, you okay. will find a lot of them in YouTube, Udemy
2: and Khan Academy okay. and any any basic cryptography course will do. Okay. And then Mastering Bitcoin and Programming Bitcoin, is this something from Ginny Song? Programming okay. uh, Bitcoin is Jimmy Song, Mastering Bitcoin is Andreas Antonopoulos,
1: so okay. these are two books, okay. so you can get the hard copy, you can get the soft copy, just go through them and like, uh, these are like a textbook, every every Bitcoin dev needs to go through them at some point in their life, so why not start with it. Okay, sure,
2: understood. And... Okay, uh, and you said wh- whichever one is someone's favorite programming language, they can pick them up, pick that up, and go from there. So then, what is Rust? oh
1: Rust is my favorite language.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so Rust is is Rust a solely Bitcoin language? Or is it? Uh, no. Rust or is or it's a, it's general programming it's programming a general purpose language. It's a general purpose. Okay. Okay. Like C like Python. Yes, it's okay. a general
1: purpose programming language. So. Rust is what happened when when people started, like, thinking of, like, how, how do we evolve C++ into something better? Right. And so it's, it's a functional paradigm of, like, kind of like Haskell, but not exactly. You still have structures, but functions are the uh, first-class citizens and all. And uh, it allows you to write a very uh, safe and... Uh, like, at least as long as you are not doing logic bug, you are safe from, like, um, the memory bugs, the type bugs, and all these kind of things. And you kind of, like, have very strict static analysis at the time of, like, writing the code. And uh, it goes, like, if, if the code compiles, then, then there are no standard bugs into it. And if there are like possibilities of standard words, the code will not compile and the language is designed in that way. So the entire experience of writing Rust is like you're constantly satisfying the compiler until it satisfies and gives a green signal. What I like about Rust is like it's, it's, it's much simpler to read than C++. It has the functional notions of iterators and uh, chaining functions one after another and uh, uh, then again it has like a very intelligent compiler almost Almost you can start learning Rust by learning gibberish in, com- in your editor and read the error message from the compiler. The compiler error messages are very helpful, very verbose. Sometimes they give you code suggestions, like you read this code wrong, here is the right code. And they can do that because the language is extremely statically analyzable because of the, of the, of the type guarantees and the safeties you have in there. And by static analysis, I mean like, At every point in the execution path, you know what exactly should be the type of this variable. Uh, In Python, if you have seen like, you, you cannot do that until you run the code. It can be a JSON data, but it can also be a random string also, and it can be something other other stuffs. And uh, so Python works in that kind of general purpose language in general purpose way where you don't have to like think about the type of the stuffs you are dealing with, whether it has a zero one byte or a zero two byte. Or. This kind of thing doesn't become problem over there. But in system programming where you are doing low level protocol level engineering or like you are writing bitcoin code or you are writing like the uh the smart signature algorithm you wanna go low level so that's why people chose c++ because that allows them to go too deep into the memory and allows to write efficient code but there you have to like handle all the gotchas yourself rust comes up and says like you can do the same low level thing here but we handle the gotchas for you
2: understood understood yeah awesome yeah uh, on on a deeper level, okay, would you be able to elaborate on pull request? So like, I know you touched a, touched upon it like earlier, but first from a non-technical point of view, like what is a pull request?
1: A pull request is a chunk of code anybody proposed to get included in any code base. So it's not just only a Bitcoin specific thing. It happens for any GitHub project. So if you want to contribute into GitHub project, this is your lines of code that you want to add in that project. You create a pull request. A pull request is just like your tweet or your Facebook post. In the GitHub world, that's your post where you have the pull request, lines of code, the changes of code, and the description, what this code does, why you created the pull request, what it solves. And then there is a common thread goes on. And in that comment thread, other people who are habituated in that code base or the maintainers of that code base, they comment whether it looks good, whether they need something to be changed, whether something needs to be fixed or the page can be different or not. And so a pull request is a verbal conversation that happens over a specific patch, this changes of code is called a patch. Yes. So, you have a patch, you propose a patch, and then discussion and conversation happens. If everything goes okay, your pull requests get merged, all good, you contribute contributed into the code. Yes. Understood. Uh,
2: on top of your mind, do you have like an example of a pull request for some uh like uh, if, if you can pull up your screen and if you can go to github i can show an example okay no uh, yeah i mean yeah once I, th- I think that would be good i think we can do this again on a more technical level once you plan on putting this podcast hmm. anybody want
1: to get an example of pull request, go to github.com there is a search bar type bitcoin you will find the bitcoin repository go to that bitcoin repository you see the bitcoin code base over there there will be a README file which describes the bitcoin description and on top there will be some tabs on there there will be a tab called pull request if you click there you will see the list of all the pull requests that are currently open on the bitcoin repository
2: yep all right so now uh, so lightning like when lightning would have come on like the lightning network when it would have been in its early days come up as a pull request is that correct is that right to assume no or? no no okay no
1: the, like, lightning network you can think of is a completely separate repository has nothing to do with the Bitcoin code repository okay okay and how does so, like yeah go ahead so like uh, lightning so for example c lightning or lnd or eclair they all have their own github repositories okay and each repository is having their own pull request to update the code of that project right so when we had lightning we didn't include lightning directly into the bitcoin code itself Understood. So Bitcoin code was something else, something here. Lightning code was something that is completely separate from the Bitcoin
2: code base. It just works uh, with the Bitcoin node. Got it. Got it. Yes. That's why That's why we uh, can say that Bitcoin is at one layer and Lightning is a layer on top of... Like that speaks to Bitcoin. and no, no not blue. necessarily. Because
1: of that, that's a. That's basically you have like two different software, file folder managing in different way. The reason they are called first layer and second layer is because of the is the semantic architecture of it like how lightning network behaves it's not because they are like separate repository every individual project is their separate repository that doesn't mean like one is on layer of another the layering metaphor comes where the architecture of the lightning network sits on top of the architecture of the bitcoin network in the in the global network sense of its semantic
2: Okay. Now, Raj, for a non-coiner, for someone who's like never sort of like for some, maybe they are a older person, younger person, but they don't seem to believe like Bitcoin is going to function as a money. And they have like, they have like, oh, this is like some magic internet money. So it's not going to work. And it's only 13 years old. And, uh, what would you say? Like, like you, it's gonna. F- they they think it will either get captured or it's gonna get failed or uh, someone can take over it and uh, there's like this shadowy coder that can you know take all the, all their money that they put into it. What would you say to like such a person? Wait it
1: out. Basically, just wait it out. Wait and see what happens. Like um, one of the things that I personally realized in this space is like I'm not going to convince anyone on anything, and. Uh, It's included with the shitcoin people and the crypto people. They're doing their weird things and they have their own reason. The same kind of thing happens for more miners also. Mm -hmm. Um, If somebody is interested, then they can always go deep down and verify that that's not the case. And uh, if somebody is really interested, then they will try to actually figure out what are the ways they can break this system. And then they will figure out like they can't and that's the really big orange filling moment. And, uh, but for most of the other people, it's okay that they will not get it. Like they will get it when it's already something normalized, already something as normal as they don't have to think about it or they don't have to reason behind it, right? Right. And Bitcoin doesn't need a wide scale adoption for it to exist. Bitcoin just needed enough people in the world who wants it to exist and who needs it to exist and there are people right now who are using it as their real money every day and uh, basically like one thing when they say like it will not work it will get captured or something like that probably they come from a situation or an environment where they have a working monetary system yes. and they actually don't know the pain of how does it feel to not have a money in a society and another reason like when they come from it is like they don't actually understand how absurd our current monetary system is and the reason that is not failing is like a more interesting question than why bitcoin isn't failing and um but eventually like the the trickle down is gonna happen because that's another hard fact of economics is like hard money juices out all the economic activities in the market and eventually it's going to get replaced it's going to replace the soft money from the circulation and till the soft money exists the hard money is going to go hide in the back don't do much action be chill like they be as a store of value and people who are like asking these kind of questions are eventually going to use these avenues to trickle their savings into something timeless that they can hold for generations right yeah. and the number of people who are seeing this is only going up it's not going down and yeah. if you don't say this that's absolutely fine you don't have to and uh, when you say it It's gonna be there for you, and you're gonna get bit in bitcoin the price
2: you deserve 100%. Yeah, totally agree. Nice, well said, Raj. Yeah, Uh, so yeah, I mean, one thing that you rightly pointed out there was when there is an when you are in an environment which has an existing monetary system, functional monetary system, where you can easily. I mean, you can easily go and spend money or store money and do everything related to money where you don't have to think about it. You don't seem to seek out another form of money, right? And that's why we see major adoption of Bitcoin in places where money is not so easy for people to like transaction to do carrier transactions, not easy for people. That's why there's lots of adoption going on in uh, countries in Africa, in South America and it's all starting at the fringes in terms of adoption and maybe they are adopting the hard money standard so early that eventually they will be like the in in the future they will be the pioneers of that's the game theory of hard money like the early adopters
1: gonna get benefited a lot and that kind of like opens up this geopolitical drawdown is like I don't think the government people and people in the central bank and running the monetary policy are stupider. They know what is going on and they understand what's happening. Uh, eventually, there will be a tipping point where the game theory will suggest that if you if if, it once enough people starts realizing that it's gonna happen if you are better off as an individual as a company as an organization or as a nation state to start accumulating your bitcoin savings so if you are a nation state, it makes sense for you to have your national reserve in Bitcoin. If you have a company, it makes sense to have part of your cash reserve in Bitcoin. If you are an individual, it makes sense to have your savings in Bitcoin. And this game theory is symmetrical across the entire scale of the society and its spectrum. So. Yeah. Eventually the phone is going to hit hard and we are going to see this thing play out in real time probably in this decade or the next one is like the countries who adopted Bitcoin standard the first the benefited the most, they have the highest economic growth rate, they have the highest import on export orders, they have the they have to, they are gonna probably have like better cultural revolutions than countries stuck in the previous traditional financial systems and we are going to probably going to see a lot of different kind of brain drains from the traditional financial world into this bitcoin world of countries and lifestyles and new
2: kind of ways of living basically 100 percent yeah that's what's happening with El salvador right like they are one of the first and i think the only nation to adopt the bitcoin standard and they are the bonds issued by the country have been going up in price significantly. Like uh, there's a uh, major interest from top investment bankers to purchase El Salvador bonds or they've been investing in El Salvador bonds uh, just for that sole reason. Yeah. And uh, so do you have like, I think we've cut off quite a bit yeah, Raj. And like, yeah, do you have any closing thoughts? Uh nothing specific it has been fun
1: yeah and yeah. Uh, uh, this kind of informal conversations about bitcoin stuff is always fun where we don't plan too much and uh, yeah i'm i'm happy to do this with you again on some topic maybe sure. something technical or philosophical we'll see
2: and uh, it was always nice talking to you hundred percent like yeah it was great speaking with you and like great picking your head and all these various uh, from the technical aspects of bitcoin uh, where can people find you? What is the best place for Mostly Twitter. Um, if you are around like, weird Discord
1: groups like Fediment, Ordinals, BDKs, uh, you can find me there also. My Twitter handle is at Rajat C. Maitra. And uh,
2: yeah, my DMs are open. If you want to get in touch, let's chat Bitcoin. fun. Sure. Thanks, Raj. You have a good evening. Yeah, same to you. Bye.
0: Before we begin today's show, just a quick shout out to a great initiative. For all Bitcoiners in Asia, you should know that Bitcoin for India, which is a volunteer-led group of Indian Bitcoiners, is organizing Asia's largest Bitcoin only conference on the 5th and 6th of November at Goa, India. Catch up with plebs from all around the world, be part of the conversation, join in on the various workshops, all while being surrounded by lush green forest and picturesque beaches for more details visit www.bitcoinforindia.org conference that's bitcoin for india as in b-i-t-c-o-i-n the number four i-n-d-i-a o-r-g slash conference hope to see you there and now let's get back to the show thanks guys for tuning in and if you enjoyed the show, all I ask is that you share it with one other person. And I also recommend that you use podcasting 2.0 apps like Breeze or FM. I'll link them down below. This will help you earn Bitcoin value. listen and it will also help support the show. Once again, thanks for tuning in and I'll see you in the next one.